Let's pray, and we'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, do please help us to understand your word tonight. And uh, as it's not entirely in line with what our culture thinks, we pray that you give us soft hearts, ready to uh, check carefully what your word says, and hearts ready to obey, to change our minds, to change our behaviour in line with what you say. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In May of 2017, the public opinion pollster company Roy Morgan conducted a survey. It was called the Image of Professionals Study 2017. They surveyed 648 Australians and they asked them to rate how highly they respect people from 30 different professions for their ethics and honesty. How highly they honour people from 30 different professions for their ethics and honesty. So what do you reckon? How do you think the different professions rated? Let's start at the top. So at the top, coming in at number one, with 94% of Australians honouring this profession as highly trustworthy was, can you guess? Nurses. Nurses. Apparently, uh, nurses have topped the annual survey for 23 years running. 94%. Uh, following close behind at 89% was doctors. Doctors. Pharmacists were third at uh, 84%. Coming in at fourth on 81% were the first non-healthcare professionals, school teachers, 81%. And then at 80%, filling out the top five, were engineers. They obviously <laughs> hadn't been involved with our property development at all. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a few other results. Uh, accountants. How do you think accountants rate? Depends how you calculate it, of course, doesn't it, with accountants? But, uh, uh, 50% of people rate accountants as predictable, sorry, not predictable, 100% of people rate accountants as predictable. No, no, 50% uh, of people rate accountants as respectable and trustworthy, 50%. Lawyers? They come in at 35%. Only a third of people trust lawyers. Doesn't sound good, although I have to say lawyers do get a better rating than ministers of religion. Only 34% of people think ministers can be trusted. Although, ironically, that's exactly the same percentage of people who think you can trust public opinion pollsters like Roy Morgan, 34%. As we head down the list towards the least honoured professions, there are TV reporters at 17%. Politicians, 16%. Uh, starting to really scrape the bottom of the barrel, we've got real estate agents at 7%. And coming in last, coming in last as the least honoured profession in our society is, can you guess... Car salesman. Use car salesman. Only 4% of people rate your car salesman as having high ethics and honesty. Interesting, don't you think? All based on stereotypes, of course, and present company is always excluded. But, uh, but in our society, we do honour some people in some professions more than others. We, we hold some people in higher regard than others. Well, now as we come into 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about different kinds of people in the church, and he, he doesn't distinguish them on the basis of their profession. He talks about, uh, um, he distinguishes them on the basis of their age and gender. Paul talks about different kinds of people in church. He tells Timothy how to relate to different kinds of people, and in particular, Paul, talk, Paul talks about three groups of people. Three groups of people that he says the church should honour. Three groups of people the church should honour. 
Uh, Paul starts off the chapter with a brief overview. He talks to Timothy about how people should, uh, how he should relate to people of different ages and genders in the church. And, and the, the foundation of it is this. Uh, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven and welcomed into the family of God. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Church is God's household. We are part of his family. Uh, th- through the Lord Jesus, we become children of God. And basically what Paul says, as he's telling Timothy how to relate to people in church, he says, you've got to treat them like family. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. Have a look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Just as as a little bit of a tangent here, uh, this is the only part of the Bible I can see that tells young men how to relate to young women who are not their wives. Uh, There is nothing in the Bible about our modern Western concept of dating or going out or anything like that. And, And so sometimes I have blokes come and ask me the question. They say, Jeff, how far can I go with my girlfriend? How far can I go with my girlfriend? As I say, the answer that I give is not well liked, but this is the only biblical answer that there is. What's the answer? The answer is, as far as you would go with your sister. You need to treat your girlfriend as a sister with absolute purity. That's what it says there. There's no other category. She's your wife or she's your sister that you treat with absolute purity. Okay. So Timothy should treat people in church like family. Uh, Now we come to these three sections where certain people are to be honoured. First section, Paul discusses widows in the Ephesian churches. Uh, Back in those days, there was no system of social security for widows, and many men died young, whether from disease or in battle. Uh, So there were lots of widows of all different ages. And without the support of a husband, widows were very vulnerable, very vulnerable to poverty and to exploitation. Uh, The early church was renowned for its generosity to uh, poor and vulnerable members, including widows, but but this chapter is a little bit different. Here in this chapter we see the church, or the churches in Ephesus, they they had a system. They had a system where they would recognise certain godly older widows as having a ministry in the church. Uh, they, They had a list of these widows. It seems they were involved in looking after the younger women in the church and the church supported them not just as a charity but as remuneration for their ministry. Uh, First thing that Paul says about these widows, uh, he says they should be honoured, but but he says you've got to choose widows who genuinely need the financial support of the church. If they have a family, their family should support them. And Paul's very strong about this. He says it is the duty of Christians to support widows in their own family. Verse 3. Give proper recognition. Now the word is literally honour. Give proper honour to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
strong staff. Uh, Paul then goes on to talk about this list of widows who are to be supported in ministry. He, he describes the sort of widows who should be chosen. He says they need to be over 60. And they need to be women who themselves, when they were younger, were uh, godly examples of Christian women. Uh, godly examples in the way they looked after their own family. Godly, godly examples in, in the way that they served the church. Godly examples in being faithful to their husbands. Uh, you need to choose older widows who, when they were young women, set a good example so that now, as older women, they can encourage the, the, the young women of the church. Verse 9. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Next, Paul reiterates that this list should only be for older widows. He says younger women should not take on this role. It's not good for them to be set aside and paid in this kind of a way. It brings all kinds of unhelpful temptations. Uh, it seems that some of the young women had already, he says, gone off after Satan. They, they've, uh, they've followed the teaching of the, uh, the false teachers, it seems. Uh, plus, he says that... Um, Younger widows, they shouldn't be committing themselves to serve the church if they're then going to get married and back away from their pledge. Uh, younger, widows, younger widows, he said, should just get on with being godly young women, marry, have children, manage their homes. Verse 11. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So, I counsel younger, women, younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. And then Paul finishes this section by reaffirming the responsibility of Christian women to look after widows in their families. Now, that enables the church to support those widows who have no other form of support. Verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. All right. That's the, that's the first group of people to honour. Who, who, who are we to honour? Godly, older widows. Now Paul moves on to a second group. He talks about older men. Uh, generally speaking, in those days, it was older men who were appointed to teach and to direct the churches. It wasn't always the case. Timothy himself is a young man. Do you remember back in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul said to Timothy, don't, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers. So Timothy himself was an example of a younger man set aside to teach and lead the churches. But basically, in that culture, uh, following the culture of the synagogues, it was older men who were chosen for the job. And the first thing that Paul says is that the older men who set aside significant time in overseeing the church well, they should be double on it, he says. That is, they should be respected, held in high regard, and also they should be paid for their time and effort, verse 17. The elders, literally the older men, who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. The scripture says... Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. 
if I could just take you on another little tangent for a moment here, I think this is really interesting. You see in verse 18 there it says, For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Do you know where that comes from? If you don't know, you can flick your eye down to the bottom of the page and impress everyone. Can you see where that comes from? Deuteronomy 25.4. So the scripture, Paul says, is the Old Testament. But now look at the next one. And the worker deserves his wages. Where's that one come from? Flick your eyes down to the bottom of the page, you'll see it again. That one's Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Very interesting. Already Paul is speaking of, as scripture as the Old Testament and the New Testament. Very, very interesting. Little, uh, just, he's not teaching it, it's just natural. Scripture, New, Old and New Testaments. Okay, uh, come back. So elders who direct the affairs of the church well worthy of double honour. And Paul then, uh, Paul then goes on to talk about accusations against these church leaders. He says, on the one hand, you, you've got to protect church leaders from false accusations. You've got to be very careful, carefully check any accusations. It's got to be more than one witness. It, it's got to be fair income. But, but then on the other hand, if the accusations are proved to be true, they need to be publicly dealt with. These elders have a public position, not only in the church, but also before the community. And if it is proved that they've done something wrong, it must not be swept under the carpet. There can't be any favouritism about it. It needs to be publicly and transparently dealt with. If only the church had obeyed this in these last few years before royal commissions and so on. Verse 19. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Still talking about uh, appointing church leaders, Paul then tells Timothy that he should take his time before he appoints anyone to positions of authority in the church. He says, if you recklessly appoint people that you don't know properly and they then go on and sin, you yourself are sharing in their sin. You don't want to do that, he says. Verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, Next, Paul gives Timothy a bit of advice about his stomach. Exactly how that fits in here is not entirely clear. Perhaps uh, maybe Timothy's having stomach problems from dealing with the stress of all these false teachers and people who've been appointed too quickly. Or maybe it's just that, like Sydney water, there's lots of jardia or something in Ephesian water. But anyway, Paul encourages him to use a bit of wine to help with his stomach problems. Verse 23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And then Paul finishes this section about these leaders by reminding Timothy, uh, you can't always immediately accurately judge someone's character. With some people, it's obvious. Straight away you can see this person is just not appropriate to, to lead in the church. But with some people, Paul says, he says literally their sin trails behind them. In other words, you don't see it straight away. It doesn't come out till you've known them for a while, until they've been tested. The same with good deeds. Sometimes you'll see somebody, that initially impress you, that you think, oh, this is not somebody who's going to be in leadership. But as you get to know them, you find out that actually they're very suitable for church leadership. And so the point is, Timothy, take your time. Get to know men well before you appoint them to leadership in church. Verse 24. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. 
the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Okay, that's two kinds of people to honour. Who have we got? We've got godly older widows, and we've got elders who direct and teach the church as well. Two people to honour. Uh, Now, in the last part of our passage, just very briefly, Paul addresses slaves. He doesn't have any great message about the rights or wrongs of slavery as an institution, but he does have a message for Christian slaves, and again, it's about honouring. He says, Christian slaves should honour their masters, and all the more so if their masters are Christians. Chapter 6 and verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Uh, Again, literally... You know, he doesn't help us by changing words. It's literally all honour. Consider their masters worthy of all honour so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they're fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. All right. Can you see what's here in this passage then? Uh, Paul's calling on Timothy to treat people in church, in God's household, like family, and in particular these three kinds of people who should be honoured. Firstly, godly, needy, older widows, and second, the older men who direct and teach the church as well, and then third, uh, Christian masters. The fact is, as the Roy Morgan poll shows us, we we do honour some people above others, and this passage is calling on Christians to honour these particular kinds of people. Okay, Uh, that's what the passage means, that's what it meant in its context for Timothy. Now let's think about how it applies to us here in Chatswood. Uh, Let's focus on these three kinds of people that Paul calls on Timothy to honour, widows, elders and masters. First, widows. What's it going to mean for us to honour widows? Now I, I suspect we probably don't need in our church to have a list of widows to financially support as a church, uh, maybe there might be some cases of widows who are in need, but, but I mean, in our, in our culture, most widows today are provided for by family or, or government or superannuation. But this list, what this list does, it reminds us of, of something very significant, and that is the early church encouraged older women, and particularly older women as they became freed from their commitments to husband and to family, as, as older women were freed from their commitments, the church encouraged them to pursue ministry. They didn't park them away in retirement villages. They didn't send them on a caravan tour around Australia. No, no, no. They got them working in church, serving Jesus. I reckon that's a challenge to our church to make space, to to encourage older women to be serving the Lord Jesus. But it's also a challenge to older women. Uh, We're very blessed in our church to have women of all ages faithfully serving us. Let's keep it up. That's great. But ladies, as we look at this passage, we we should be thinking more and more as we get older and as our responsibilities are passed on how we can serve. As our children grow up and don't need us so much, and as we retire, we should be thinking about this. I suspect that the vast majority of women in our culture, as they get older and as their children go to school and grow up and so on, they think hard about how to get back into the workforce, how to, how to make more money for the family. Maybe they retrain for a new career or something like that, or, or they think about how they're going to enjoy their retirement. How about this for a challenge? How about, as your children get older, 
and even as you prepare for retirement. How about thinking hard about how to invest more time serving Jesus? How about thinking not to retrain for a career, but, but retraining for ministry, training to teach scripture in the schools, training to serve in easy English at church or, or leading Bible study in church? I think we should be challenged by this list to think harder as we get older about how to use the freedom that we get in the service of the Lord Jesus. I think we should also be challenged by the character of widows that Paul talks about here. Because what, what Paul's doing here, he's giving us a picture of an exemplary Christian woman. Now, he does it first of all by telling us the sort of women who should be put on the list because it's women who were exemplary in character when they were younger. And so that picture of exemplary char- character tells us what a Christian woman should be like. Uh, also, where Paul uh, tells the younger widows what to do, he's establishing what godly, how godly Christian women should live. So what does a godly Christian woman look like? Well, she gets involved in ministry, we've seen that, washing the feet of the saints and all that other stuff. Uh, but, but, but also, did you notice, she brings up children, verses 10 and 14, verse 10 and verse 14, and also in verse 14, she manages her home. All right, well, let's backtrack and clarify a few things because I'm about to get politically incorrect. Uh, Let's clarify a few things. Number one, it's fine to be single. In fact, Paul commends singleness in other parts of the Bible. You don't have to marry to be a godly Christian woman or man. That's perfectly clear in the Bible. Uh, Number two, of course, not every couple can have children. No one is criticising you for that. Far from it. Far from it. The Bible acknowledges that not being able to have children as a couple can be a a very deep grief for you. Number three. uh, This is not saying that women have to stay at home and not work and prepare the slippers and the pipe for when their husband comes home from work all day. Uh, Paul is writing in a a pre-industrial revolution culture. Uh, The idea of a woman staying home with the children while her husband goes off to a distant factory or workplace, it just didn't exist in this culture. There's no such thing. Uh, Men and women, they both worked to provide for their families. You see a good example of it in uh, Proverbs chapter 31, for example, which we'll look at later this year. Uh, Men and women both participated in in, uh, providing for their family, and men and women both participated in bringing up children. In many cases, uh, young boys would be apprenticed to their fathers from a very young age, uh, be with their fathers day and night, and girls would learn from their mothers. Uh, Paul was writing to a very different culture from ours, so we don't want to make him say things that he's not saying. He's he's not commending family patterns of the 1950s or anything like that. But having said all of that, Paul is saying two very important things that are countercultural here. Bringing up children and managing your home. So let's think about them. Bringing up children. Uh, Paul assumes that married couples will welcome children into their family. We will welcome children as a blessing from God. And the assumption is we will love them and bring them up and we will perceive that that is a central part of our godliness. That the good and godly thing for a couple to do is to bring their children up in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, I reckon in our culture more and more we are seeing children as a burden rather than a blessing. And I suspect that many of us, both mums and dads, we use our work as an escape from our children. We love work because at work we get approval, at work we get stimulation, at work we get money. That's fine as far as it goes. But because our children don't give us approval, 
or because our children don't stimulate us with adult conversation or whatever it is we crave, or, or because our children don't pay us, we find them a burden. I think this passage challenges our thinking, don't you? Men and women, although it's specifically addressed to women, so hear the challenge. Godly women will see great value in raising their children for Jesus. It's not second best because you can't go on in your career or something. Godly women will see as central to their service to Jesus the bringing up of children. Uh, Also, there's the bit about women managing their home. As I say, historically, work in and out of the home was shared. Uh, This passage is not saying the wife has to do all of the housework or anything like that. Uh, For some women in Ephesus, managing their home would have involved bossing all the slaves around. They would have done no housework at all. This is not giving us specific rules for exactly who has to do what jobs or put out the garbage or anything like that. But but what the passage is saying is this. Uh, The state of your home is an important aspect of your godliness. I know some of you have been following the work of uh, Jordan Peterson, the Canadian uh, psychologist, and one thing that he says, I think, very, very cleverly is uh, to kind of young university students who, who think they can change all the problems and transform the world, he says, first, clean your room. You know? Just get your room organised before you think you can transform the whole world. Well, I think Paul's saying something a little bit similar here. The state of your home is an important aspect of your godliness So if your home is a shambles because you are too lazy, if your home is a shambles because you are too busy doing stuff that you think is more stimulating or important, you need to feel the challenge here. The Bible calls on godly women to manage their homes. Just while I'm upsetting everybody, one more thing to think about from that section about widows. Um, There's another thing that's very strong here. The Bible is clear that we need to provide for our parents and grandparents. Now, that means supporting them as their health deteriorates, and it may mean providing for them financially. Now, I recognise that's not easy for some of us. Perhaps our parents are overseas. I recognise this is going to bring different challenges depending on our cultural backgrounds. In some cultures, there's a very strong sense of obligation to parents. I practically hear all the Chinese grandparents cheering as as that passage was read earlier on. But but, but in many, many modern Western cultures, like with children, we perceive older people as a burden because we see people economically rather than in the image of God we perceive older people as a burden. Maybe we put them away in homes, out of sight and out of mind. I'm not saying there's no context in which a retirement village or nursing home is, 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 not, is not appropriate. Um, it's, it's a bad attitude, though. Or, or any help that we do give to our parents or grandparents, it comes with all kinds of resentment and unkindness. We've got to heed what Paul says here. Just look at verse 8 again, because it's very strong what he says in verse 8 of chapter 5. If we refuse to look after parents or grandparents in need, we have, what does he say, denied the faith and are worse than unbelievers. That's very strong, isn't it? Okay, that's widows. That's the main part of the passage. Um, Just more more briefly, elders and uh, masters. The next group to honour is elders who direct uh, and teach the church. According to Roy Gallup, only 34% of people think ministers should be honoured. It should not be like that in church should be at least 35% in church. We should be with the lawyers at least. Um, as, as Christians, we should, uh, should honour those who direct and teach our church well. 
Uh, like it says in this passage, we do need to be very careful about who we appoint to lead and teach in church. We should be uh, getting to know people very well before we appoint them. In our case, that means uh, ministers, people on, st- on uh, staff, it means elders, Bible study leaders, uh, those we uh, choose to teach our youth and children as well. Uh, we've got to be very careful. Uh, also, this is something the church really needs to, to put into practice. Um, we've got to protect uh, church leaders from unfair accusation. And, and I think with some of this child protection stuff, it's going way down the line that uh, innocent people are being stood down and, and losing their living and so on with, with really no foundation at all. We've got to be very careful to protect church leaders from unfair accusation. Um, any accusation should be checked out very carefully. But, but then if a church leader is caught, is proved to have done something wrong, we must not sweep it under the carpet. There mustn't be favouritism. There mustn't be hiding. There's, there's got to be absolute transparency before the church and before the world. Very important that we be a place that is safe for those who are vulnerable, children and others. Okay, so we've got widows, we've got elders. Uh, just finally and briefly, the final group of people to honour, uh, slave masters. Now, contrary to what my children claim, we don't really have slavery in our context. Um, But there is one important thing that we should learn here. It's the idea, did you see it there, chapter 6, verse 2, that we should serve Christians even better than other people. Do you ever find yourself giving second best in your service to Christians, in your church service? You give your very best at work. That's, that's where you really give uh, all your, your, your best time, your best effort. But at church, you give the dregs, whatever's kind of left over. Or, or do you have a volunteer mentality? I don't know if those of you who were at the uh, men's convention this year and heard Craig Tucker's brilliant talk about volunteerism. Uh, Do you have a volunteer mentality? As if you're doing the church some massive favour by serving. Now the Bible tells us, chapter 6, verse 2, to serve our fellow believers even better. All right, stacks stacks to think about here, isn't there? Uh, Let me summarise in two sentences. Uh, Let's treat each other as family and give honour where it is due. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for bringing us into your household through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of you, our Father. Would you please help us, Lord, to love each other as family? And would you please help us to consider carefully how to give honour appropriately, particularly to those who are older among us and those who have authority over us. Give us wisdom in this, we pray in Jesus' name.